witches, ghosts, ancient earthbound beings. What October would be complete without a discussion about this aspect of the unusual world that we live in? And if you thought that the atrocities in Salem, Massachusetts, with the witch trials were bad, let me assure you, you ain't heard nothing yet. Tonight, we head to Scotland to examine the wicked history of witches, garish ghosts, time slip phenomena, eerie elemental beings, haunted graveyards, palaces, and more with historians, investigators, and the White Witch of Elgin. All here on the best in paranormal programming, this is the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. Evening, my little darklings. October is here. The haunting season is upon us. We're talking all creepy things. Next week, we're going to talk about the devil. That's right. The penultimate being when it comes to evil, the devil. Jeff Belanger, our guest, as we delve into that. And uh, we've got some other great surprises, including a look at Ed and Lorraine Warren's interest in the paranormal on something called 28 Days Haunted, a new paranormal TV series that will be appearing on Netflix. I'll be talking to two of the stars, the host, Aaron Sagers, and our own Shane Pittman will join me to talk about that later on this month as well. So we're going to get all different aspects of the supernatural. One of my favorite things of doing this job and having been featured on different television programs is the fact that I get to travel the world with you, listeners, fans of the supernatural and the paranormal. We get to go to places and see sites and involve ourselves in these histories, stand in the footprints of those that have come before us. And going overseas, hearing their history is so interesting because it far outdates our stories here in the United States. And it gives you an interesting perspective into where a lot of our culture and our curiosities and superstitions began. Obviously, I've talked witches in the past and the Salem witch trials have been pounded on ad nauseum. But as I walk through Scotland streets and listen to the historians tell the tales, I was blown away by what they revealed. So joining me first up was a great uh, host that we got to meet in Scotland who took us on a walking tour, a ghost tour and a history tour of Elgin in Scotland. She is the White Witch. She is here with us now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Linda Dean. Linda, welcome to the program. Hi, Dave. Good to be here. Thank you so much. I And I love... I love the time that we got to spend together and what a beautiful location we started off at. I'm going to pop up a picture here. Give a quick introduction for those of us viewing. Where is this? And uh, and, and boy, it, for as burned out and old as this looks, what a gorgeous location. Yeah, this is Elgin Cathedral uh, from 1224. Had three fires repaired and extended after every one. Shut down 1560, collapsed in 1711. And all we've done over the last two, three hundred years is tidy it up. 
<laughs> just try to keep it what what's left of it all together. And it's got an yeah. interesting history. We were there. If you want real supernatural folks, don't look for ghosts in the windows. Don't look for uh, zombie hands reaching up. If you want real paranormal, look at the blue skies. I caught a photograph of blue skies in Scotland, ladies and gentlemen. That was the true terrifying elemental moment for us. But uh, Linda met us there and she was in full regalia to take us through the town and uh, share the great history of this. But you were telling tales. And I want to talk a little bit about the cathedral there to start with. Um, and and that there is a, a haunting associated with that and, and a, a ghost or two that are known to be seen. Um you're somebody who's open to the paranormal. You have abilities and senses. Uh, how is it walking through the streets of Scotland, not feeling overwhelmed by the spiritual activity there? Well, see, I'm one of these strange people. It's always been normal for me. It's only when I went to school, I found out that I was different to the other people. They couldn't see the little boy that I used to speak to in the playground at school. So it's always been normal for me, but... When I'm doing tours or if I'm out with friends and that, if I see something, I have trained myself not to react unless other members of the group react so that I'm not pointed out as the freaky one. <laughs> right. Well, you told us that on the tour and you said you don't usually point it, but we're paying you to point out the freaky stuff, Linda. So I want to I want to help you going forward that when you're having a moment and you see a spirit, tell us because the uh, the idiot Americans will turn and watch. We'll stare at a corner of a wall for hours if you tell us there's a ghost there. You could just have fun with us. That's that's how it works. But we love hearing this history and the tales and the strange stories. And there are a few resident ghosts there at the cathedral. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us about a couple of them? And then I want to move into some of the witchy history and some of the other weird uh, elements that you, you talked to us about on our tour. The most commonly reported one is basically from where this photo is taken. If you were coming through those big double arch doors at the far end, you would quite often see a woman just kind of peeking out. Let me get this right behind for the camera. Peeking out from the side of the door mm -hmm. and then she would just disappear. As soon as she realizes she's been seen, she ducks back because she was scared of the living when she was alive. And I think she's even more scared now. So, but quite often people say, oh, there was a woman just looked at us out of the chapter house. And then when they get there, they find there's no one there. <laughs> but she- Now do we, yeah, do we have an idea of who this spirit is and why she's still there hundreds of years later? Yeah, her name was Marjorie Ghislaine. She was a woman of noble birth who ran away with a soldier. Of course, this is a Jacobite area, and she ran away with a Hanoverian soldier because Daddy didn't like her being with a Hanoverian. And we don't honestly know what happened to her husband. It's not documented whether he was killed in action or if he mistreat her and she ran away. But during 1748, when his unit would have been in northern Spain, she randomly turns up in Elgin with a newborn baby, barefoot, clothes in rags, no wedding ring, no nothing. So she'd made her way back with the clothes she had on her back, selling her jewellery and stuff. And because they nobody knew that they'd gotten married, they treat her as if the child was illegitimate. So her father wouldn't have her in the house. Her friends wouldn't have her in the house either because it's like, oh, illegitimate child, 1748, that's a big no-no. So she was sleeping rough in the streets of Elgin. Now, at that time, we have 550 
breweries and distilleries within three square miles of Elgin. And there's a lot of people knocking about the streets at night and Marjorie was attacked several times. So to get peace and quiet, she moved into the ruins of the cathedral because at that time, the population is still very, very superstitious. And the easiest way to get away from people is to move somewhere that's surrounded by the dead. So she moved into the cathedral because the graveyard there, well, 1,736 gravestones, everybody left her alone because they were all scared of the ghosties. So she got to live in peace for the 10 years that she lived in the ruins of the cathedral where she brought her child up. Good God. What just... The, the concept of living like this, that, that this is the way of the world and that there were so many people that lived in cemeteries and took over these areas. And I can't imagine what the smell and the hygiene and the just how do you even survive in that element? That's yeah. terrifying. Um, and, and I'm sure she's just one of many spirits that walk and cross through there. Do you believe she's intelligent? Is this a fully formed spirit? Or do you feel that this is just a fragment of who she was at one point in her life? I think it's just a little bit of who she was. I mean, she is documented through history as Mad May, which is why I, I tend to go to the theory that perhaps the husband abused her, so she ran away. Because she was, she was seen in the street singing and dancing at the top of her voice. Didn't give a monkey's who could see her or what anybody thought of her. So I think potentially whatever treatment she received during the journey back to Elgin or from the husband kind of fragmented her mentally. And I think the little bit that is reported nowadays is just that little fearful side of her. It's like, oh, pe there's people coming, I'll go and hide. So I think that's part of the fragments of what was left after her mind seems to have been broken. So, uh, Is there ever any eyewitness accounts of her child being seen? No. He left an awful lot of money behind to have what is now one of Elgin's best old folks' homes built. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, he... When he got older, by the time he gets to 60, he is a major general in the East India Company of the Army, the Hanoverians. And he's got an awful lot of money. And in the winter, he lives in London, in Baker Street. Yes, there was a real person lived in Baker Street, not just Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and in the summer, he had a house in Elgin. Everybody knew he was an Elgin guy. Everybody knew he was ex-military. But not until he died did most people discover that he was the little kid who lived in the ruins of the cathedral. Not until he wow. died, left a letter with the check saying he wanted this place built so nobody else from Elgin had to have the same hard life he and his mother had. So, And nowadays it's still an old folks' home, but it's not free anymore, but it is, it is probably the best one in Elgin. <laughs> well, talking about history right talking about the atrocities that we put each other through witchcraft you know there's there's mention of witches in the bible and forward now obviously the iteration of the witch the story of the witch has changed through multiple hands um i didn't realize how bloody it was in your country when it came to this concept was is there any true belief linda of 
witchcraft as we know it today. Samantha Stevens, wiggling her nose, magic, hocus pocus. Was there was there real magic involved in this, or was it root workers, healers? Is that what we would call them today? Metaphysicians that they were helping people, but if it didn't go right, it was easier to pin the blame on them. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the people who died would nowadays be nurses, doctors, the people who work in the health food shop, healers, the wise old woman of the village and all that kind of people were, tended to be the ones that got killed. And, of course, it was fueled by hysteria and jealousy. So it, it, it's mad. The, the things humans do to each other, even nowadays it's bad, but at least now it's not so gory as it used to be. Mostly. Well, let's talk about some of this hor horrific history when it comes to witches. The, I mean, and again, you're the white witch of Elgin, right? I mean, there's there's this great concept. People love to kind of uh, embolden themselves to this. And I, I know a whole myriad of people here, including my daughter, that ascribe to the witchcraft way of life. Uh, it's not about the pointy hats and broomsticks. It's it's although they embrace that aspect and element, it's about more of a healing and a, a nature connection. Um, is do you believe in your opinion, though, that there is a real magic to that, to tapping into those elements by calling on the spirits of the earth and the root and the 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 magic that surrounds us, that there is uh, magic to that? I think a lot of uh, what we would call of the magic is basically when you connect with nature the way they would have done way back in the day and the way some of us still do. Like if you're collecting uh, elderflowers or blackberry leaves or whatever, if there's only five, you only take two and you always say thank you to the plant. And I think a lot of the, the magic is actually engaging with your inner self. So a little bit of the inner child bit and a little bit of the inner old lady. Oh, yeah, we'll get some ginger because we know it's good for a sore belly. We'll get this because we know it's good for that. And I think basically it's because it brings about this stillness inside so you get more in touch with yourself and what you want out of life instead of just running around in the rat race, marriage, mortgage, divorce, marriage, mortgage, divorce, like a lot of people do. And just spending time in nature you can connect with yourself or whatever higher spirit you're you believe in through your faith i mean for a lot of us i mean personally when i try to engage with a higher spirit it tends to be previous family members from however many generations ago would like to speak mm -hmm. to me i will ask them and invite them and I'm not going to get into the whole bits and pieces of how I think of things of my faith, but I know I'm I'm very much a pick and mix chick. There's a little bit of everything from each religion you can think <laughs> of. I use a bit of everything. So, but for a lot of the time when I'm asking for help, I'm asking my predecessors, both in my bloodline and some of the ones that would have been executed. All right. Um, you know, I saw an excellent meme the other day that says these uh, current modern day magical witches that claim that they're from true bloodline of witches of the Salem witches. It's like, have you read the books? These people weren't witches. They, you know, the neighbor wanted their property. So they said, oh, my daughter, she got ill because Linda Linda, she gave her the stink eye, right? The evil eye. And my daughter fell ill. And now she's a witch. And, and 
if I could prove that you're a witch, I get to take over your property. And that's pretty much what this came down to in the United States was religion. Uh, if, if somebody in the church made the claim, um, I get to take your property from you because you are a witch. You don't get to possess that. Now I do. Uh, or the neighbor making the claim or the one that was afflicted would make the claim and then they would get to take over. And it's almost, and I don't mean this uh, dismissively, it's almost quaint, the limited numbers here uh, in Salem that were put to death. Give me a taste. How many people put to death for witchcraft in Scotland that you're aware of? During the 60 years that the witchcraft hysteria took place, there were over 4,000 people in Scotland executed. In my town alone, we had over 300 trials and 40 executions. At least the other 260 got off with just apologizing to the congregation. But 40 were killed horribly. All right. Now, you know, the, the common... Uh, belief is that witches were burned at the stake. I think there was only one witch in the United States burned at the stake. The rest were pressed or dunked, uh, right, where they would be put in water or weighed down. If they floated, they were obviously of the of the devil. Uh, and if they drowned, well, they were safe. I, I know that you were talking to us about some of those elements when we were in Scotland. So I'm just curious. I cast an aspersion on Linda, the white witch of Elgin. They take her, they sink her, she drowns means she's innocent. What happens to Dave, who made that claim? Yeah, in a lot of the times, people were um, kind of drawn into it. If your friend's accused, you're going to stand up for your friend or at least try and make it a little easier. Um, so maybe they won't torture them quite as much. But if you if you defend a witch, you automatically are a witch. Um a lot of the people who made accusations, whether the witch turned out to be innocent or not, the accuser's life would be difficult from there on in because everybody would be really cautious of how they talk to you, what they say to you, how they look at you, just in case you accuse them of witchcraft as well. Right. So it would it would really paint you in a bad mode, but obviously you're not going to wind up dead. But there are a couple that did end up uh, being thrown out of town because they accused more than three people, and three of them turned out to be innocent. Right. That that's what's so weird to me is it doesn't that seem like the work of the devil, the greed, the dishonesty that. I would blame you in order to take over your property. Now, if that happened, I don't know how this played out for you. If I made that claim hoping to take over your property and you drowned, would then the church take over the property because my claim was inaccurate? And then would I be kind of frowned upon in society because you cost Linda her life, man. She wasn't a witch. She just yeah. made really bad sandwiches, right? I mean... <laughs> How how was that over, you know, how, how was that? Um, I would guess there was no real winners when it came to that, except the church. Exactly. Uh, a lot of it did end up with both sides of the argument, losing out, having their lives changed horrendously, if they still had their life at the end of the conversation. And really, yeah, the only true winners was the church because it was all taken as a show of power for the church. Because, of mm -hmm. course, this is where I have to say a lot of people think the Catholics are harsh. 
-hmm. but the Catholics were completely accepting of the witches. It's quite well documented locally that some of the ministers would leave a bowl of porridge and a glass of milk on the back step of the church so that the church service wouldn't be interrupted by the witches, the brownies, the fairies, whoever you want to think of. Mm -hmm. But when the Protestants came in, there's no such thing as a good witch or a bad witch. A witch is a witch is a witch, and you're all going to end up dead. So it was the Protestants that were the really harsh ones in this, whereas nowadays most people think the Catholics are the harsh ones, but they were accepting of their witches. So Really? Interesting yeah. concept. Uh, but I guess that's kind of played out in history. We see that it's um, the, the Protestant preachers, a lot of them in, in the United States, were responsible for this. Uh, with this, were there curses affiliated or associated with these deaths would you know dave schrader is being put to death for being a witch on my way out would i curse this piece of land would people take that seriously i mean because i would have thought i'm going down i know i'm gonna die i'm not a witch but i'm gonna totally screw with you linda you think i'm a witch then i curse you and i curse your you know your bloodline your land and everything before you and when my final breath comes I want you to know that that curse begins. That would have been my take. I would have taken you all with me mentally. Is is yeah. it, Was there some of that played out in history as well? There is some of that played out in history. The first one that comes to mind along those lines is Alton Towers, actually, down in England. Mm. And one of the witches there accused, well, was accused, and she cursed the family who lived in what is now Alton Towers Hall in the middle of the theme park. There is a big fancy old house. And, <laughs> excuse me, they said that they were convinced that for every limb of, that, of this particular tree that falls, a male member of their family will die. So... Mm. From the 1700s onwards, this huge big old tree is wrapped in chains so none of the limbs can fall off of it. <laughs> Today, it is still wrapped in chains. They're too scared to take it off. I mean, it's entirely wow. different people who own the land now, but that tree is still wrapped up in chains. So, but I mean, some of the claims that were made to that brought about these accusations were hilarious. I mean... There's one, this guy in his 50s hit on a girl in the local tavern who was working there. She was only in her 20s. She turned him down. And then, two days later, she's accused of witchcraft by his wife. Because his wife said he hasn't been able to perform his husbandly duties since the 20-something-year-old barmaid turned him down. And that poor woman ended up getting killed because she wouldn't agree to sleep with this creepy old guy in the pub she worked hey, in. Hey, 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 hey. Coming from a 50-year-old, let's not say creepy old guy, all right? <laughs> it's all right. I'm only a year away from that anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, yeah so just it's because just, he You couldn't... can cast that aspersion, but coming from the wife, that's crazy. What did the, yeah. the guy drunkenly go home and, you know, uh, hit on the barkeep and she turned me down? <laughs> she must be a witch. Uh, and, and the wife takes so. up the stock in that? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's mad. It's absolute madness. I mean, one of the other ones is somebody threw a cast aspersions verbally on one of his neighbors. Mm -hmm. And after that, he was stung by a bee and spent four days in his bed with a dodgy tummy. Now we're talking the Exorcist movie at both ends here for four days. 
And he said that bee had to be her because he he slagged her off. And she must have turned herself into a bee and poisoned him. And she ended up dead as well. It's madness. <laughs> how, how, first of all, that, that the human brain could conceive this and believe this. You know, do you, do you believe that there was any belief behind these claims ever? Or was it just, man, I really want Linda's property because she's got that great look over the lock. And I want, see, I was like, lock. Um, you know, was there an actual belief that maybe you were responsible for this death? Or do you think it was just, hey, this I, is an I easy think, way to get rid of the neighbor? I think with some of the... Uh, forgive the phrase, some of the lower class levels, some of the poor working people, there would have been belief amongst them. But I'm pretty sure all the church folk who would have all been at least partially educated would have just been, right, okay, Jimmy obviously wants Freddy's farm, so he's accused his wife of witchcraft. Let's just put it through. Because it makes them look good, you know. So, but a lot uh, of it, I mean, one the worst example of the jealousy and claiming property I've come across so far is in Aboyne, which is a wee bit further south of me from here. In Aboyne, it was so bad that they ended up, they killed 60% of the population, which left the entire village and all the land around it belonging to three families. And they wonder why it's still just a wee place now. You're not going to have yeah. much of a population when there's only three families. Or a really weird-looking population with lots of humpbacks. Exactly. I'm glad to know that you know our Southern culture. Um, sorry, my Southern friends. Uh, <laughs> sorry, they, they folks. Know how to use the internet. I'm kidding. Um, we've only got a little bit of time left. You told an interesting time slip story that I thought was fascinating on the tour. And first of all, I'm going to have links up to Linda's tours so that you can find the White Witch and Elgin and and go out, hear these history tours, but plan some time, man, because she has got stories and a lot of stories. I felt horrible. Our next tour, we had to get going. At one point, I'm like, Linda, we love you. This is amazing, but we're about two hours past due to hit our next spot. We got to, and you've got amazing history. It everybody was in trance. As a matter of fact, we left the courtyard or the the churchyard there, thinking that was the end of our tour. And then when you're like, "All right, let's start the tour," everybody was like, "There's more. How much? <laughs> how much murder and death and ghosts can this little town take?" And it took a lot, folks. Let me tell you. But I'm gonna have links up so you can find her. And uh, for all of our friends that took the tours, that watched the show, please make sure to go rate and review on on whatever uh, travel advisors, Yelps, whatever they've got. Make sure you rate and review the tours because they were great. But I want to hear this story before we head out because time slip phenomena, I think, is fascinating. And you told one of the weirdest stories I'd ever heard. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a building that used to be a supermarket. And mm -hmm. if you wind back into the 1600s, it was part of the land that belonged to the abbey, which is now a convent. Um, ma main difference between abbey and convent, abbeys are, tend to be blokes, monks, convent, females. Mm -hmm. Main difference, without getting into all the religious side. And in the movies, you quite often see uh, in medieval-style movies, there'll be somebody wants to marry somebody else and they, they tell the woman to get to a convent for safety. Mm -hmm. When you go to the convent for safety, you're basically put in the sanctuary block. 
Now, that's just a wee bit background from the 1600s. Let's come back into the 1990s, which is when this lady told me this story. I got an email from this lady who's like, um, I experienced something really weird. I'm still not sure what I saw, but can I meet you for coffee and tell you about it? Because it's a bit weird and I don't know who else to talk to. Everybody in this area knows I've collected freaky stories since I was about 15. So I get lots of emails like this. So we met for coffee and she told me that the night before they had been out, they were all at college and they were all completely guttered, apparently, which is a... Heavily under the affluence of alcohol, as I would put it. Um, <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the following day, they all decided to go to the supermarket cafe for brunch because nobody wanted to cook and half of them were still drunk and so on and so forth. So this lady goes through to the bathrooms in the cafe in the supermarket and she opens the door. And instead of three cubicles, three sinks and a great big mirror, She sees a stone flagstone floor with a wooden bed and a little table next to it with a candle and a cross on it. And she stood there looking at it, scratching her head, and she's like, what on earth is going on? So then she thought, oh, it must be because I'm drunk. So she went back out and she got halfway down the corridor and thought, no, I really need the bathroom. So she went back through, opens the door, and there it is again. Three cubicles, three sinks, and a big mirror. And she's like, I've no idea what I saw. So I went through the local archives, and I found the old maps of the town. And where that bathroom was, was on top of the sanctuary block from Greyfriars Abbey. Hmm. Now... So all I can think of is what she saw was one of the rooms from the sanctuary block, because they would have been very basic rooms, because you're basically there to help them out and pray. But how or why she saw it, she has no idea. As she said to me, I don't believe in ghosties, I don't believe in all this stuff, so what on earth happened? You know, and I'm like, well, you got to see something from 400 years ago, but I don't know why they chose you. That is amazing. I love that stuff. Uh, before we leave, what's the scariest ghost story from your area? The, just the weirdest, freakiest deal before we have to say goodbye and head on down the road to Curris Pass Palace. Oh, sure. I can say Curris this time, right? And I mess up Palace. We'll talk <laughs> about that in a few minutes with our next guest. But what's what's the creepiest ghost story you've got? The weirdest, scariest one I could think of is one that actually happened to me when I was 15. Okay. I was babysitting in a big house, and I mean big, 15 bedrooms, nine bathrooms, seven staircases, right? Wow, okay. It's it's one that I used to play hide-and-seek-in as a little kid when my mom used to work there when I was like seven or eight. But okay. when I was 15, it's new people, and they've divided the house, and everybody's gone out for the night, and I'm left with the kids. So it's split in two is the house, basically. And the kids have been playing with these little kiddie walkie-talkies and they wouldn't go to bed unless they could take one with them. So they took the walkie-talkie upstairs. I had one downstairs. So I'm like, all right, if you need a drink of water or that, just call me on the walkie. About an hour after I've put them to bed, I'm sitting watching, I don't know, Blues Brothers or whatever. And the walkie-talkie goes off. So I'm like, what? what's wrong? What are you needing? 
no answer. So I went upstairs to check and all three of them are snoring their heads off and the walkie's lying in the middle of the room. So I took it downstairs. I've got two of them sitting on the coffee table side by side, both walkies. And I'm way through in the kitchen making my coffee and the walkie goes off. And I'm like, what? I'm hearing things. Came back through with my cup of coffee, back into the movie. And the walkie comes on and there's a guy speaking German. So I picks up the walkie and I'm like, I'm sorry, I think you're on the wrong frequency. I don't speak German. Thinking it was like a tourist or something because it's not too far away from two military bases. And carries on with my movie, but I'm a little bit shook. I mean, I'm 15 at this point. You know, I'm still a bit easy freaked, not like now. And went through for another cuppa, come back through, and I hears the walkie again. And I heard something which the little bit of high school German I'd done sounded like my house. So I thought, oh, the lady who used to live here, one of her sons died in this house when he was in his 20s. But this would have been like 50 years ago now. And I remembered his name. So I picks up the walkie and I'm like, Oscar, is that you? Yeah, 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 Oscar, Oscar. And I'm like, whoa. Okay, what do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) So I I picks up the walkie and I'm like, I'm really sorry, I don't speak German. And at this point, I'm now pacing up and down through the house, trying to think what to do. And all I could think of to do was to go to his mother's bedroom, because by this time, she's been passed on for about 10 years. And I knew she visited the house, because no matter how many times they make the bed in that room... They could make it with the one corner turned down or haul the way down, like you see in hotels and things. But no, every time they leave it and go back, it's just put back like hospital corners, which is how Oscar's mum used to like her bed to be. And she Mm -hmm. was very, very particular lady. And I I thought, right, I'll go to his mum's room. And I went into his mum's room, or what used to be his mum's room. And... The bed had been put back how she would have it. So I asked for her. I'm like, are you here? I I remember you. I hope you remember me. Are you still here? I think Oscar wants to speak to you. No answer. Uh, So I put the bed back to how the owners liked it. Came back downstairs, another coffee, went to my bed. And because I was freaked out, this is back in the days where Walkman was a new thing. Put me Walkman on, but just low, just enough so I wouldn't hear anything in the room. And I woke up and it was at full blast and I thought, right, okay, I might have hit it that way. So I'll leave it full blast and hang the headphones on the bit on the end of the bed. So then I can hear it, but it's not going to deafen me. Well, I woke up half an hour after that and the headphones were like round my throat. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then I realised the bedroom I had been given for that babysitting job, I was in Oscar's bedroom. So I sat up and I'm like, Oscar, are you looking for your model? Because he he had loads of model ships and model planes and stuff. And his mom kept it like that up until she died. And I'm like, your planes and that are still here, but they're at your auntie's house. Because I know what happened when who died and whatever. And... I says, but if you want, we can try and speak to your mum. And I got, and I'm like, is that a yes? Okay. 
So we went, me and my invisible friend here went through mm -hmm. his mum's room. And I'm like, are you here? It's me again. Oscar wants to see you. And I smelled her perfume. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, Oscar's here and he's confused. Can you help him? And you get from another bit of the room. I'm like, okay, Oscar, your mom's here. You can have a conversation with her and hopefully this will settle things down. Well, well that's, does that mean you're going to leave me alone and let me get some sleep? And I'm like, what's that mean? Are you happy? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you're happy now. You'll let me sleep. So I went back through to bed. As I'm sitting on the bed, I said, I said goodnight to his mother and I said goodnight to Oscar. And I finally got some sleep from about 4 a.m. till 6. Mm. <laughs> but at the time, it scared the good, scared, you know, seven yeah, gotcha. of whatever out of me. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Very cool. Linda, thank you so much for staying up late with us and coming on the show. I appreciate this. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah. me. You got it. We'll have a link again for Linda, the White Witch. You can find her in Elgin and doing the history and ghost tours. So make sure you stay tuned uh, for that and more information. Our next guest joins us as we talk about uh, the palace that I got a chance to visit. Uh, our friend Chris Fleming, as a matter of fact, did an episode of Spooky Scotland. It's over here. I believe it's called Haunted Scotland on Discovery+. Plus. Um, and that episode is out and available right now, so make sure you go check it out. We'll talk about that and more when we return to the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, passing those sweet, sweet savings directly to you, my darklings. It has been such a good change for me. I've saved so much money in switching over to Mint Mobile with all of my family and so many people bleeding me dry. I was so happy to find some relief, and Mint Mobile has been that relief valve. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. So say bye-bye to overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages, and say hello to relief. Thank you, Mint Mobile, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash p60. That's mintmobile.com slash p60. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash p60. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And come on, feel the noise. Be a part of the Four Leaf Clover. You'll also get to see Quiet Riot live aboard the Four Leaf Clover cruise. The Jericho cruise is exciting. I'm going to be a part of it. This is my fourth journey as we travel through the Devil's Triangle. We'll talk about sea creatures and pirate ships and spooky specters at sea. So make sure you come on out, get tickets, be a part of this. It's the JerichoCruise.com. That's this coming February. But maybe, just maybe, you want somewhere a little more obscure. 
Well, join me. Traders of the Lost Ark. We're going to head to Egypt. We're going to be investigating with Tracy Ash, and uh, she is a, a metaphysician and an Egyptologist. We're going to see some of the most amazing sites and confront the supernatural in Egypt. And we would love for you to join us. There are very few seats that still remain for this. We opened it up to 30 people. We sold out over 20 tickets in the first week alone, just a handful that still remain. I understand this trip is not for everyone, but if you're tired of sitting on the couch watching everybody else have an adventure of a lifetime, it's time for you to have the lifetime of adventure you've always deserved. Join me as we head to Dave Schrader's Egypt Obscuro. It is going to be an amazing time. All the information at Darkness Events. That's darknessevents.com. Now, while I was in Scotland, I got a chance to visit a palace. I'll probably butcher it again. Curtis Palace. We'll get it right eventually. And that's where I got to meet our next guest. And in 2010, my guest, Linda Whiteford's lifelong interest in ghosts and true paranormal stories led her to join a full-day meditation workshop and paranormal investigation. That day changed her life. She was hooked, realizing she also had innate psychic abilities. She eventually set up a team in 2014 with three like-minded friends, calling themselves the 3AM Club. And they teach others how to speak respectfully to the spirit and help raise money to charities and buildings in need. And then they uh, that led her this, to this amazing job now at the palace in 2015, where she has been the duty manager ever since. And that duty, I think, has changed because where she thought she was going to be there managing, she is now the voice of the resident spirits. She was brought to the palace for a reason. And I'm sure, again, it was to give the many spirits a voice and the recognition that they deserve. Nobody talked about them before, but once she got there, the older generations, the original guard all stepped up and began to share and relate their own stories. She was charming and amazing, and we spent an afternoon visiting the palace. She's here with us tonight. Linda Whiteford, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'm I'm really chuffed. Now, you're on two episodes of Spooky Scotland, Haunted Scotland, right? You got to <laughs> visit with Chris Fleming and investigate. Yeah. Um, so very cool. Uh, but this this palace, a very neat place. And again, I'm going to just pop it up. I love the uh, 1970s uh, canary yellow painting. But, that, but what's the, what is the color you call it? <laughs> it's called ochre, the color. Ochre. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. the color it would have been when it was built in 1597. Actually, the building you're looking at is um is just to the right of the the original one. This one is a baby. This is 1611. Oh, just 1611. And I'll yeah. have you know this is not ochre. This is 70s marigold marigold <laughs> gold. I know because I had a refrigerator like that in our living or in our yeah, uh, yeah. kitchen and dining room. So uh, what an amazing place. And I, if you don't mind, I just want to I want to talk about some of the ghost stories. I want to talk about the weird stuff and, and cool stuff. But I want to give just a couple pictures of inside. And I'm not going to give many because I want people to take the tour. But there were some amazing finds, these beautifully curated rooms um, with original uh, uh, furniture and history, just beautifully done. The the art that you find throughout this place is stunning. This is the ceiling in one of the rooms. Um, it is amazing, just absolutely. And then there are some absolutely terrifying things 
terrifying. Look at that. That is a terrifying. <laughs> you could see the spiritual, almost demonic image reflected back in. Oh, wait, that's that's me. Anyway, that's a cool mirror inside, but you can go check that out for yourself. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the people you see in this uh, photograph in a few moments. But it, it, what a great atmospheric location to, to be a part of. You were called in there. Did you sense the spirit realm? Did it make itself known to you upon entry, Linda? Oh, boy, yeah. I, do you know, I, did, I didn't take the job. Um to, to go ghost hunting or anything like that. I, I just took the job because I didn't, honestly, honestly. Where to <laughs> okay. go? I, uh -huh. I actually went for the wrong job. I went because of my, my kids had all gone to, to uh, high school and I'd been a mom for 20, a stay at home mom for 20 years. And before that, I was in tourism, PR and stuff and radio. And, uh, and I just thought I needed a job. And there was a, a part-time housekeeper's job going at the palace. And I had only visited once before. Um, okay. So I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm better at cleaning other people's houses than my own. So I, I went and did the interview. And they didn't give me the job because they said, why, why didn't you go for the assistant manager's job? And I thought, well, wait a minute. All I know in computer world is how to buy and sell stuff on eBay and do buy things on Amazon. So <laughs> they said, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> so I got the job. And, um, and honestly, I was about three days into the job. And every winter, it closes down. At the end of October, it closes down. Halloween is our big farewell for the season. Right. Uh, because everything in the palace has to be protected from humidity and you know the winter weather and whatnot and um so we wrap it all up for the winter with acid-free tissue paper we cover up the furniture it looks really spooky i tell you with chairs have got blankets on them or sheets and um but uh the third day in my job i was involved in helping to open up for the season for for spring and i was unwrapping things in this small uh, bedroom uh, we call it the garden room. Well, we used to call it the garden room. We now call, call it Mary's room because I was unwrapping uh, a candlestick. And I was at one window in this room, beautiful little gorgeous Georgian bedroom. And at the other window, I noticed that um, a lot of time I either see, physically see, or I see in my head, uh, spirit. So I saw in my head this young girl at the window um, she was sort of kneeling down at this this bay window, and I knew she was talking to me. And I was getting having a conversation. I I don't think I'd ever done this before, but she was basically telling me that um, she was allowed out of that room on Sundays to go and pick flowers and to go to church. She told me her name was Mary. I could see her with a sort of Alice band round her hair with long material down the back, beautiful long green dress, and she had long uh, dark hair. And she must have been about. 16, 17, maybe. Um, and just very, very calm. This this was 11 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> a sunny day. This is when things usually happen. And um, and it and it just didn't scare me. I was absolutely fine with this. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's really sweet. It's so nice of her to sort of be talking with me. And then I, I thought a bit more after she kind of because when you look at them, they go. Um, and I I um I thought about this some more and I thought, why was she kept in there? She was allowed out, she said, on a Sunday to go and pick flowers and to, to go to church. And, um, and that window overlooks where the public well used to be out in the lane. 
And uh, anyway, long story short, I got my friend from my my wee uh, paranormal investigation team, Lee, who's yeah. a really good medium. I got him in the next week and um, and I sort of interrogated him. I took him a tour and I said, right, what do you get in here? What do you get in there? What are you picking up? And in that room, he said, oh, there's a girl at the window. And I said, yes, what's her name? And, and he said, it's Mary. And uh, I said, how old is she? And he said, yeah, yeah, about sort of mid-teens, kind of late teens. Um, and he said, she was, uh, she was kept in here. She was kept in here. And he felt really sad. And, um, and he said there was something about a boy. And uh, and she she went to church and she loves flowers and you'll smell flowers. Now, that room is now called Mary's room, by the way. Everybody refers to it as Mary's room because I tell everybody about it. And Mary, on many occasions after that, has shown herself in little spirit lights, if you ask her, of an evening, if it happens to be very dark. And you'll see these lovely little pinpricks of light just where she was at the window. And and they'll just dance across the ceiling. And it's just, it's the most beautiful room and it has the loveliest feeling. But um, because of that, we've kind of rewritten history or kind of added to it because those conversations with Mary have led to other discoveries if you like because the females in these places are very rarely written about one thing if if i can mention though i you know i'm impressed obviously you picked up on this your friend i'm not real impressed that you picked up on the name because i've read your scottish uh books and and everybody's named mary or elizabeth or apparently (laughs) linda in your country um so he had a 33% chance of pulling the right name. So I'm not yes, that yes. impressed by his ability, yes. but that is, no, that's pretty remarkable. So but, this kind of opens up more history. Now, is this history that you're able to corroborate? Totally. Awesome. Yes. That's, that's totally. what I love. Because, because um, I haven't mentioned him yet, and you, you kind of mentioned him in passing, the, the portrait in the other room um, was one of the owners of, of the palace. The whole palace was built in 1597 by this amazing man called Sir George Bruce. Now, that's not him. That's his great-grandson. George Bruce haunts another room. <laughs> we'll get onto him later. Mm-hmm. But that man that you just showed there, Colonel John Erskine, was a very formidable uh, soldier. And he fought with William of Orange. He bought the palace in about 1700. And he, he kind of put the latest fashions in it. He, he changed it from being sort of barrel vaulted ceilings and painted walls. He put panels in there, paneled walls, opened up the windows. There used to be little shuttered windows, Flemish windows. Um, George Bruce was a rich man, so he could afford glass. So he'd have half glass window, half shutters. Um, but Colonel John put his latest fashions on for 1704 and uh, and he opened up the, the windows were much bigger because you could afford to make larger panes of glass then. He painted the ceilings white, flattened them off, and it was a really sort of um, top class, high fashion sort of place. And uh, so he put his mark on it, 1704, but he kind of oh, used yeah, he it. Did. He used it as a pleasure palace. Cutting what? rooms in half. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, he kind of, it was party central when he was there. And, um, and don't we know it because, um, he, this, this man, he, um, I'm sorry, Colonel John, but forgive me. He's our cross dressing Colonel. <laughs> oh, Let's, and we have proof. Yes. Let's, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there's a portrait of him by day and is that's him. <laughs> 
and he looks very grand and very severe and he was he was a he was a grumpy old so and so but mm-hmm. um, very good at his job and he was the governor of Dumbarton and of Stirling Castles in at various times so he was a big cheese and he also fought with William of Orange so you know he was well respected but my god was he a grumpy old so and so but he loved the company of men so hello boys <laughs> If you cover his head up, if you cover his head up, that could be any old lady, couldn't it? And and for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, you're missing the images. We do have them up. Uh, And I asked, I said, okay, so was this made later to represent the cross-dressing governor? (laughs) And you said, no, he actually commissioned to look beautiful in his painting. How nice. I think um, it's supposed to look like a Roman centurion, but it, but does it? I mean, it's a lady's hands, isn't it? There could have been artists going around with, with a half-finished portrait with a head missing, and you might just have said, you know, or he might just have said, yeah, I'll have that one, put my head on that one, and oops, I look like a lady. But he preferred the company of men. He actually created a withdrawing room in the palace. He halved a room. He halved the, the, the main sort of largest room in the building where they did all the entertaining in George Bruce's time in, in 1597 and, and, and onwards. But he halved that room so he could get rid of the ladies after a meal. So they would withdraw into the withdrawing room. And so the men could do the men things and the ladies would get on and do their ladies stitching and sewing and stuff. And I don't think they believed didn't, well, They didn't did, really did do the, that. They were smoking and playing cards. And <laughs> did the ladies, uh, did the lady, you know, when guys pull together now into a room, we're shooting pool, we're watching movies, we're, we're watching a football game. Were the wives, <laughs> were the wives aware that, um, in the withdrawal room, there was probably more insertion than withdrawing going on. <laughs> well, it was the ladies that were withdrawn. They were into the withdrawing. They were doing the lady things in the withdrawing room while mm. the men were doing their smoking oh. and whatever and oh. passing, pardon my language, but passing the piss pot around at the table as well because there were no toilets. There was a dry privy in the corner of the room where the, the right-hand man would be the guy that passed the, the piss pot around at the table. And if you needed, you went. And then he would pour it into this privy this kind of uh it looked like looks like a toilet but it's not it was just a shoot to get rid of the urine and the other stuff I, yeah you really had to like your buddy still <laughs> a pot that you'd all pass underneath the table and but they used to do that in pubs they did that in pubs as well that's what sawdust is for it just dries it up that's but what saw- no. <laughs> uh, so oh. anyway so so yes. to- Cut a long story short, Colonel John was Mary. Yes. Remember Mary from the room we went in before? Yes. That's her father. And okay. he was keeping her to be married off to somebody else. Now, we okay. think she was having a relationship with a local lad. And she would look out of her bedroom window and see him at the well. And um, so many times when I've done little investigations there um, with people and lots of, I mean, I've been there since 19, since uh, 2015. And um, there've been many times when females have felt really, really sad in that room and in the other room, the Laird's room, and they've felt aches in their bellies and they've just felt oh, just, just terrible. And it's always females. And we thought, um, we had an ovalus one night, we've had, we've had lots of sort of gadgets there. You don't need gadgets, your, your guts feeling and your senses are your gadgets. But, um, 
putting all these things together, all these stories from different people, we think that um, she got pregnant. And we she verified this by speaking back to us in various um, uh, recorders, recording devices and the ovalis. And we think she got pregnant to this local guy. And we think she had an abortion. And we think that her mother was there because I, I also channel. So her mother, there's not another Mary. She's an Anna. <laughs> and this is proof. I mean, John was, Colonel John was married to uh, Anna and um, his daughter was Mary. And um, he's even come in on conversations many times and said, yes, that was me or no, that wasn't me. And, you know, told us other things. We even had his tailor come in um, recently on an investigation and tell us that, yes, he did make dresses for him. Um, and then he got shut out because the, one of the buildings was a Masonic Lodge. Colonel John kind of turned it into a Masonic Lodge. So you would only have the company of men there. And goodness only knows what they got up to there. But I'm beginning to understand after having a few investigations. And yeah, was that the room? <laughs> was that the room where you said that men that keep their back to it? Yeah, don't bend over. Yeah. Just don't drop anything. Is it that yeah. room? Is, yeah, that, is room. that room. Yeah. <laughs> See how you're walking funny? Well, that yeah. happened to quite a few guys that go and stand in that room. We always wondered what that little room was for. Um, and it's upstairs in the North Lodge, that, that um, building that you showed before, uh, 1611. And um, I was told by another medium that it was actually a holding pen for the next um, sexual conquest, if you like, but it was for an initiation to get into the special club that they had there. Um, oh, and I was trying to get initiated, if you, if you see the picture. <laughs> I was, but apparently they didn't want to be a part of any club I was a member of. Um, <laughs> you just had yeah. to come back later at night, actually. But oh. um, I, uh, yeah, the, many males have been touched or groped or poked or breathed on in that, that area. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Mary story is all coming together because we know for a fact that she and her mother both had TB. So the heavy breathing, the pain in the chest, the, the stomach pains. Yeah, we think she did have, we think she had an abortion. There's too many different groups have come in and done investigations and have got the same information. And that just makes it that makes it real to me. Um, you can't make that stuff up. I don't, I mean, I'm telling you now, but um, the groups that come in, I know that they don't know this stuff. And uh, because it's never, it's not written down anywhere, apart from the names of the mums and the dads and how long they lived there. Colonel John even got his wife and his, his daughter sent away in carriages to get some clean air sometimes because they had asthma, as he did. Um, so, so, yeah, I love it when these stories come together and you actually well, get a bit more to the, the history than you do talk, in the books. Talk to me about the need for clean air. I think you, if I remember correctly, wasn't it uh, kind of funky in that area? <laughs> funky is a good word. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, up and down the length of, uh, of the UK, I mean, every West End of every town is the posh bit. Okay, that's the bit where you get the theatres and the big houses and the palaces and all the rest. Um, because usually we have the wind blowing from the west to the east. So the east end is the poor, but, poor part. And that's where you'd have all the industries and stuff because the, the wind would blow the smoke and the pollution 
to the far side. So in Kouris, we had um, an industry. I mean, George Bruce built the palace on money from his, his famous underwater coal mine. He created in 1597 or, or just before that, the world's first underwater coal mine. And he created a, an island out in the river because we're right by the River Forth, which goes out, it's tidal, it goes out to sea, to the North Sea. And he created a little island where the mine shaft would come up so air and coal and everything could be get could be put straight onto boats as his his salt because he was making he was um creating salt as well from the salty water and that takes a lot of coal to burn to evaporate the salt the, the salty water and get the salt crystals um so there, there were about 50 salt pans about 15 20 feet across all lining the shore you had your blacksmiths uh, churning out griddles because we made griddles we even made griddles for the civil war in america um our tanners were making boots and shoes that went to the civil war in america um and, how, and, uh, and what were they using to tan the the leathers oh they're very valuable urine <laughs> the piss from the piss pots there, there was somebody went around town and we only had at that time we only had about 600 people living in the town there's about 360 now but at that time there was only about 600 um maybe a thousand around about the area but um, we weren't a big place but um urine was very very valuable and people used to go around buying it in the morning and if you didn't have any to sell pardon my language but you were piss poor and if you didn't have a, something to collect it in, you didn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> but dun, they dun, used dun, it for tanning. <laughs> I know. Nice. Um, you, uh, you needed the urine for uh, a fixative for dyeing and for tanning leather. I mean, even in, say, Morocco today, they still use uh, feces and also human feces and dog feces for softening up leather and any kind of urea. Um, but... Our brewery, which is next door, it's not a brewery anymore, sadly, but we're working on it. Um, it's called Bessie's Bar. It's a building right next to the palace. And it was an old alehouse and a brewery uh, run by a very successful woman, I have to say, Bessie. Uh, and we had many, many pubs in our time. We had about 50 at one time. <laughs> and then uh, she would be making this lovely ale and they would put urine in the ale and it was called lanting. And you could have single or double lanted beer. And this was happening right across Europe. So if your beer tasted a bit bad, <laughs> it probably was because it tasted like you know what. Is that, <laughs> is that where the it. term getting pissed came from? Yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. see we are educational folks all oh, right yeah. we're here for the paranormal not the urinormal <laughs> uh let's let's talk about we've got some of the ghosts we've chatted about some of the weird uh things that have been cited um but you also have an elemental that's part of the power oh yeah we haven't got on to sir george's room yet the, the okay go, go ahead all right let's, you, know what? Yep. you can throw this is what i do when when people um ask me is the is the palace haunted and you kind of go oh Choose a room, <laughs> inside yep. or out, anywhere, the garden, any room. Um, because really, it's it's quite a happy, busy place. You know, they're not sad spirits there, um, but they're 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 pretty active. Um, oh, there we are. <laughs> um, and uh, but they're nice. They're nice spirits, but they're mischievous. Um, 
And the Laird's room is not a big room, but it's where George Bruce, who built the palace, would have uh, wined and dined. I mean, bedrooms didn't have specific purposes in his day. You had them for meeting and greeting and also you could have meetings from your bed if you wanted. But just off that room is a place, a little room called the Strong Room. Okay. <laughs> it's a little room called the Strong Room. Now, banks weren't invented until 1695, okay? We're back in 1597-ish. And um, so a, a rich man, and George Bruce was the tax collector. He was the richest guy in the area. He was a local MP. He needed somewhere to keep all the papers and all the money, um, papers that proved who he was, because you couldn't just go around with a wee oil painting and say, hi, that's me. You know, <laughs> you had to have papers and a wax seal and all sorts of things to prove who you were. So he kept them in this strong room. And it's, it's the most heavily guarded um, um, protected room in the whole of the area. Um, it had two big, heavy iron doors that bolted from the inside going into a sloping ceiling, narrow entrance so you couldn't get a sword out. Um, the, the sloping ceiling was meant to put the average man as a, at a disadvantage. Um, and I can walk straight through there. So I'm, I'm about 5'7". So uh, the average man must have been taller than me because we meant to make him sort of dip down. Um, unless he had a fancy hat on like D'Artagnan or someone like that, you know when he was out to rob. Um, but this room is three foot thick stone all the way around and it's supposed to be cannonball proof and fireproof. And in that room, we've had so many things going on, so many things, so many paranormal things have happened. And I just love it when it's not just me telling the stories anymore, it's the guides in the palace um, who have their own stories to tell. And the one, the one that I got to begin with because nobody ever used to talk about the ghosts. Nobody in, in the National Trust of Scotland, they, they kind of kept them quiet, maybe brought out a few stories at Halloween, but that was it. But now it's a daily occurrence, and it's brilliant because the old guys come up with these stories, such as this one, where about 10 years ago, there was a five-year-old girl who kind of got away from her mum a bit. She was a bit bored and she went under the rope because we rope off the strong room because the tiles are original, 1597. And she went under this rope and she was standing at the little desk in the room. There's quills and a pot and there's a lovely desk and it's it's all um, uh, 17th century. And um, she was laughing and joking and uh, the mum was horrified and, and there was a bit of a kerfuffle and the guide came through and he said, excuse me, but who are you speaking to, sweetheart? And she said, uh, five-year-old, remember, she's speaking to the man with a hairy face and the funny white thing around his neck. And she was just happy as Larry, you know. And he said, ah, right. He took her upstairs to, the port to see the portrait of George Bruce, and she started waving and smiling at it. That was him she'd been speaking wow. to. It's fabulous. Cool. Yeah, that is. And then another guide just, uh, oh gosh, it was two years ago, before lockdown anyway. Now, she's a doctor of history and she's fabulous, Fiona. She, she listens to my stories and, and who I've seen or what I've experienced. And she goes, yeah, 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 you know, the usual, same as my husband. And, um, and she went in one morning into the room and she was switching on a, a, a battery-operated candle that we had on the desk. And uh, the quills in the pot, there's about six quills in this, this uh, pewter pot. They were dancing. They were swiveling round and round in the pot. This is 11 in the morning, swiveling round. And she thought, it's the draft from my jacket or something. And she went out. She came in again. And they were still dancing. And she thought, oh, God, what would Linda do? So she went, right. <laughs> now just quit it 
I'm just putting the candle on and then I'll be out. And do you know what? They stopped and then she came running to see me. She went, Linda. <laughs> um, you are also proper. You're not going to even tolerate dancing feathers. No. Enough of the shenanigans. Stop your get- dancing. <laughs> I slip it, John Cleese, like, you know, stop it. Right. Um, but she, this year, just before we opened up again, we were unwrapping stuff um, to, to open up properly for, for the season. And she was in that room. And I think um, she was making little money bags to put on the desk. And uh, she heard her uh, footsteps coming up the stone spiral staircase outside the room and then coming across the wooden floor into the room. And she thought it was me. But I was a hundred yards down in another building. <laughs> there was nobody there, so that freaked her out a wee bit. But she's got that story and dining out on it ever since. So it's brilliant. It's really good. But that's George. But the elemental is in that room, and the elemental, I am absolutely sure, because it's been seen as a black mass, um, is there because of the hundreds of years of protection. Because I forgot to mention, in that room, there's a fireplace with witch marks around the fireplace. Now, witch marks were not made by witches. Witch marks were made by the householder to keep the witches and any evil from coming down the chimney at night. Because you can hang things at your talisman or whatever at your windows. You can have rowan trees, mountain ash growing outside your house to keep evil away. But And you can put things at your door, but you cannot block up your chimney. You need your fire. So you would put things around or bury them behind the mantelpiece or behind your lintel in the fabric of the building. Now, we've got lots of lovely little circles with crosses in the middle. We've got runic marks around the, the fireplace in the high hall. And, and these were all to keep the evil away. So can you imagine hundreds of years of, of spells and magic be put onto this one room to keep evil away, to keep the, the health of the householders, because they were terrified of, of losing their health. They were te- terrified of losing their, their wealth and their business. Um, you would do anything to keep evil away. And so we've got lots of lovely uh, witch marks around the, the fireplace. And I think the elemental, it's, it's there to protect. I think they're usually always there to protect and it's done a damn fine job because nobody's managed to steal anything as far as we know from that room. But this elemental, I Are think... Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, this elemental showed itself in a black mass kind of form. And um, my... my uh, three colleagues in the, the 3M club, we're, we were there one night and usually you get Sir George coming through and he loved, he lo- oh, I haven't even got onto about how he fancies blondes and how he touches them and you know, there's something for women, there's something for men <laughs> we've got spirits that love them all and I'm the spirit pimp <laughs> yes you are <laughs> but the elemental was there and it was it was messing with any kind of gadgetry we had. We even just had a, a little table with a glass moving. You know, we usually, yes or no, we just love, you know, watching how the spirits move. You can tell what spirits are around by the energy on that glass moving. You can, Honestly, you can tell. But this was messing up everything and, and we couldn't get the, the normal spirits coming through. And it was weird. And so I thought, right, we're not having any of this because <laughs> I've kind of learned from from I've got some lovely mentors and um, spiritual mentors and uh, they, you treat them with respect and thank them for what they're doing. Um, I'm all for respect. I, I will not have anybody shouting at spirits or aggravate spirits. You know, you, you speak to, to spirit as you speak to 
you or me, you know, with respect. You do not shout and scream at them. Um, and uh, and and so you hear thought, that kids, you're supposed to talk to me with respect. <laughs> And I just thought, do you know what? We're not having any of this. So we cut down that session and we didn't go back there. Um, but then we went back later on and this thing kept messing with us. And I thought, right, do you know how we're going to do this? Because we saw this black mass come out of that that strong room, go up the wall and across the ceiling and down and then out into the corridor. And I thought, do you know what? I don't like a bully. I don't like sort of, you know, we're being nice. Why can't they be nice? <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit naive. But... Do you know what? I said, look, we're here. You're here. I'm here every day. I want to say hello and good good evening, um, good morning, good evening. I say it to Sir George and I say it to all the other spirits I know of. What can I call you? I'd really like to thank you for everything you've done to keep this place safe. Because as far as I know, we've never had any fires. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, and uh, and it's, 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 it's a beautiful place. So... I said, please, can you tell us what we should call you? I had a little ovalus on that night, a little gadget that turns energy into words, you know. Um, right. And do you know the name that came up? And we howled with laughter. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, spirit. Mandy. Mandy's our elemental. And as soon as we started calling it Mandy, I said, are you sure? <laughs> Mandy. As soon as we started saying, good morning, Mandy, good night, Mandy, everything just leveled off and all the normal spirits came back in again. And so I say, I've been saying it for years. Morning, Mandy. Good night, Mandy. God bless you, Mandy. It's the weirdest thing, but it works. <laughs> and then, and then oh, we've got... Mandy, <laughs> you came and you haunted our palace. Yeah, I like it. I, I don't care. Came. Do you know what? It works. It works. And in, and in a castle me. with a cross-dressing ghost, why not have an <laughs> elemental who wants to go by the name Mandy? I'm not here to judge. Do you know what? It's happy place. It's a happy it place. And, and we have happy, happy ladies. I had a, I had a tour in just recently and I've, I've started doing these Spirits of the Palace tours, after hours tours. It's so much fun. And you don't need any, any equipment or anything. I've just basically chat i tell people i take people on a tour of the palace and i tell them about who haunts where and what's happened to guests and visitors and, and our guides and it's all true you know it's all true i love this is the truth it's the truth that's the i've always loved true ghost stories and the things that happen on those tours and they're just at five o'clock on a saturday night the things that happen on those tours are spectacular and there, there was one night it was in the Laird's room and there was a group of just five, six women. Some people didn't turn up, but, but it was brilliant. There was five or six of us and we're all female. And there was one blonde in the corner, a lovely woman. And I saw her getting a wee bit uncomfortable and I said, are you okay? And uh, she didn't know what happened in that room. And, uh, and she said, uh, yeah, yeah, I just feel like somebody's playing with my hair and it's sort of blowing in my ear. And I, I said, is it bothering you? Because you know what? We're not taking any nonsense tonight. <laughs> sort of me being <laughs> the big, big wise one. And um, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. And she said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then she started going, oh, uh, I said, look, we can go out if you want. She went, no, no, it feels like somebody's putting their finger down my back and then going up again. And I said, I said, look, we can go out if you want. She went, no, it's quite nice, really. <laughs> <laughs> she stood there for a long time <laughs> now you have be, before we wrap before we wrap up here you you 
have some history of witchcraft and witch trials oh, yeah. in that area as well. How many people were put to death in, in your small little town? Oh, Lord. Do you know what? We had from 1621 till, well, gosh, the latest ones were about 1724 that I've heard of. Do you know what? They, they were, there were a lot of witch trials recorded. Now, um, there were over 4,000, apparently, recorded ones in the whole of, of Scotland. But there are an awful lot of ones that weren't recorded and there was an awful lot of torturing that went on to get confessions that was missed out, you know? And if somebody maybe died along the way, oh, well, we might just not mention that very much. Um, we had recorded about 28 witch trials, um, but there was an awful lot of people that were taken in. And the palace, as I've said before, is a really happy family home with beautiful gardens up the back, tiered gardens. You get amazing views out to sea. And the gardens are set out 1650 style. And, and this is why you get people at Outlander wanting to come and film with us all the time. But along the along the road a bit where uh, we sell our tickets and our little shop is for the National Trust for Scotland is the townhouse. The ground floor was a series of prison cells. The middle floor was the council chamber and the courtroom. And just above that in the attic was where they tortured the accused witches. Now, that place has got the most awful feeling. Um, Chris Fleming, you mentioned before, was up there recently for the Haunted Scotland series. Um, it's called Spooked Scotland over here in the UK. And um, he felt it. He felt it. And um, I've, I've, I don't take people up there very often because I actually think it's a wee bit disrespectful to make it into some sort of tourist attraction because right. it was horrific what happened there. The people I have taken up, they start swaying. A lot of the females start swaying um, because, do you know what? Part of the torture process was actually partially strangling somebody, pulling them up, letting them down. There was an industry making tools like witch pricking tools, um, the brank scold, all the things that would, would humiliate and um, hurt people, thumbscrews. Um, they would rape people. They would shave them. They would be looking for the devil's mark um, all the time. And if they found anything like that. Real quick. Your Scottish yes. bro goes quick. You've passed over so many horrific things. Rape, oh, yeah. thumb screws, the yep. torture, all of this. Yep. And they call the witches the monsters. Isn't that exactly. the Exactly, exactly. But that, those energies, the, the horrible things that happen there, they're in the walls. I absolutely believe it because people feel that all the time. They feel it like being strangled. They feel sick. They feel sad. Um, they're still there. And, and I know that the, the, the female, mostly females, there were males as well that were tortured, but the females are still there and they want to be remembered. And the one thing that Chris Fleming, it was amazing. It was a bit of a revelation, actually, because when the bell chimes every hour, they get recognition and they it's like a Tibetan singing bowl. The energies go out into the atmosphere and they get energized again. And they quite like that. The, the spirits up there really quite like that. Um, and it was, it was, um, I like talking about them because it, brings their memories back and we never we should never forget what happened there because Agreed. that was just the worst period in history you could get rid of anybody you didn't like and the longer they took to confess the more their families had to pay the money was money was exchanged and the money went to the minister of the town and the councillors 
And of course, your king, King James VI, loved Kouros. James VI and first, Mary, Queen of Scots' son, he was the biggest witch hunter of them all. He wrote a book about how to find witches and how to get confessions from, called Demonology. And that book came out the same year as the palace was built in 1597. He visited Kouros. So George, I think Sir George, who built the palace, I think he was decent, a decent man, but he had to go looking for evil because if he didn't, he could be accused of being in league with the devil as well. Um, and James thought the world of him because he made loads of taxes for him and all sorts. So if your king was telling you, your ministers were telling you to look for, for evil, boy, did you. And so he was involved in the witch trials, as was as were his sons as well. So it was a horrible time. And then, of course, the plague came to Kouros, um long after George died in 1645. Who did you blame for the plague? Anybody that was dealing with um, herbal medicines, anything like that, get them in, grab their properties once they'd been dealt with um, and everybody was was happy and could, you know, carry on. It was a horrible, horrible time. But you did anything and everything to keep evil away. And, and in a fishing community as well, because we're by the sea, fishing communities had, were so superstitious. They still are. Um, they would do anything to, to, to save themselves and to stop anything to joining. Yeah to keep positivity and keep the flow going real quick folks uh it's over believe it or not ghost of devil's perch final episode aired last night tomorrow our final goodbye our recap episode as we deal with the monster in the mine make sure you tune in chris fisk katie and some other guests are going to join me for that special edition Linda, thank you so much for bringing so thank much you. fun and, and interest to the history. You make learning, uh, both of you did, uh, Linda Dean and and Linda Whiteford, thank you for bringing the history and helping us learn a little bit with entertainment and uh, the horrors of of what we're really capable of. It it, it shows you quite a bit of, of history, where we've been, and, and God willing, I hope not where we end up again. We're survived. We're the survivors. That's right. We've got links up so you can find both of these amazing women and their tours and their palaces and more. Please go check it out on today's program guide. One would hope that we learn from our past, but it seems clear that the witch trials of the past continue to play out today in cancel culture, politics, and everyday life. We remove the stigma of a paranormal title like witch and turn it to anyone who opposes our beliefs. Maybe the monsters of the past are not what we should worry about. Ghouls and cross-dressing ghosts, the witches and monsters and lach beasties. I bet they sit back in horror watching the true monster. Mankind. I'd like to thank my guests, Linda Dean, the White Witch, and Linda Whiteford, for sharing their knowledge, histories, and mysteries with us. And you can find more about them and their amazing tours and locations on the program guide today. Thank you all for visiting the Paranormal 60 and allowing me along on your journey. May the darkness be just a little more light with the information we shared here. And beware the monsters that are around us all the time. The creatures of the night, the ones we see reflected in every mirror we look into. Because the legends of lore of the past, they don't hold a candle to the terrors that surround us from our own actions. Be kind. Be respectful and heed history's warnings so that one day in maybe a not so far off future, when history tells your story, it doesn't remember the monster, 
it remembers the person that made this world a better place. Make sure to like this video and the podcast. Subscribe. Hit that bell so you're always alerted to when the new episodes are coming. Hit that like button and tell everyone you know about the program. For all of you podcast listeners, rate and review. It helps to spread the word of this show to the nation and around the world. Thank you. I will be back tomorrow for our special final recap episode of Ghosts of Devil's Perch. I'll be back this Friday with the boys for Supernatural News. And next Monday, we're going to have a deal with the devil. We're going to sit down with Jeff Belanger and look into the creature that is the devil. We'll do that here on the best in paranormal talk, radio, and podcasting. This is the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader.